The following quotes are from an article in the Baltimore Jewish Times, June 30th, 2013, in an article about Messianic Judaism. So I'll, from this point on, I'll be quoting the article. <clears throat> it is blatantly misleading, said Rabbi Jonathan Seideman, spiritual leader of Kehilat B'nai Torah in Ranchley. One of the basic tenets of Judaism is that when God gave us the Torah, he told us that Moshe Rabbeinu is the chief of all prophets, and no one will be as great as him or be able to contradict or limit the teachings God conveyed to us through Moshe at Sinai, explained Rabbi Seidemann, referring to Maimonides' 13 Principles of Faith. Therefore, if you have someone who claims to be a prophet and his followers are claiming that certain main tenets are no longer applicable and no longer have to be followed, that is a violation of faith, of Judaism. It is a big deal. It's confusing, he said, and it's deceptive. The rabbi continued, it's just another variation of false Judaism. I'm still quoting the article this is a, a Baltimore, kind of a national paper, and, uh, and now they are uh, turning to the city of Richmond. At Virginia Commonwealth University, former Hillel director Shoshana Schechter Schaefen said the local Messianic Jewish community spent two years pushing to be accepted into the Interfaith Campus Ministry Association, of which Hillel is a founding member. We respect people's religious freedom, but my issue, and the issue I brought to the IM, ICMA, is that this is deception, said Schechter Schaefen. People can believe what they want, but what if there is an 18-year-old looking to join the community and looking on an activities calendar and sees Shabbat services and does not know what Messianic Jewish means? And most people don't. The article continues. Rabbi David Rudolph of Tikvot Israel Messianic Synagogue, however, was met with opposition pretty much only from professionals. Messianic Jewish leaders now go by rabbi instead of priest. Shafin said the students didn't want to put up a fight about the Messianic Jewish presence. The younger generation at VCU, they're very accepting, said Shafin. Young Jews don't know and don't understand why people freak out and why they have such a visceral reaction. For them, we should accept everyone and try new things. That makes this more dangerous because young Jews don't see what the problem is. On a campus, you can't discriminate against them. The campus can't throw them off, unquote. So the question is, why would someone arrive at these conclusions? Why is Messianic Judaism sometimes seen as a threat or deceptive? Today, it's on my heart to make the case, right? The case for Messianic Judaism. Now, of course, for the most part, I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. Most of us already believe in the Messianic Jewish movement as good and worthy and from Hashem. But I wanted to make the case to encourage us and to equip us, and I wanted to understand the other side as well so that we can have an answer to respond to these sorts of criticisms with love and with truth. In order to start to form a response, I thought we should try to understand this strong reaction to Messianic Jews. Now, 
Judaism as a religion has responded and adapted to many things. One can have Eastern beliefs or be a Buddhist and still be Jewish. One can eat bacon and lobster and crab and still be Jewish. One can believe that Rabbi Schneerson is the Messiah of Israel, God in the flesh, and still be Jewish. One can be an atheist and still be Jewish and even be a rabbi. There are atheist rabbis. But the one thing that everyone seems to agree on, except for our community, is that you can't be Jewish and believe in Yeshua. Once you do that, according to popular thought, you are no longer Jewish. Jews are welcome to convert to Christianity if they show choose and join a church, but they can't be part of the Jewish community anymore. Trying to remain Jewish as a disciple of Yeshua is seen as deceptive, fraudulent, and unacceptable. Though being a Buddhist or atheist is within the boundaries of Judaism, being a disciple of Yeshua is apparently outside of those boundaries. It seems to attack the identity of some mainstream Jews. But why? Historically, this dichotomy is not true. The earliest followers of Yeshua were almost all Jews. Essentially, all of the writers of the New Covenant scriptures were Jews. The apostle Shaul, or Paul of Tarsus, kept the Torah and taught others to do the same, as evidenced in Acts 21, verses 20 through 25. Let's take a look at that. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law, or zealous for the Torah. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. So this accusation came to Paul even in his day. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. You yourself are living in obedience to the Torah. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So that was a a measure of distinction that the early believers made, but that Jews who believe in Yeshua should follow the Torah, and Paul taught this as well. Yeshua himself, God in the flesh, was a Jew and died a Jew and remains a Jew today, as I said in my opening spiel, right? In Revelation 5, verse 5, it proclaims this about Yeshua. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Even in the Olam Haba, the world to come, Yeshua is identified as the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
What could be more Jewish than to follow and trust in a Jewish Messiah who maintains his Jewish identity in heaven? So there is a strong historical case for Jews following Yeshua, but what about now? There are currently almost 300 Messianic Jewish congregations in the United States alone, and many more all over the globe. As we just read in Acts 21, Paul says that Jews who accept Yeshua become more zealous for the Torah. And for many Jews today, this is true. It's true for myself, right? I grew up a a Reformed Jew. I grew up uh, eating calamari and pepperoni and all sorts of things. But since believing in Yeshua, I've given them up. I've become more zealous for the Torah. I grew up uh, working on Saturday, you know, it's just another day, you know, maybe watching cartoons or, or something like that. But since believing in Yeshua, I began to keep the Shabbat. I grew up with a casual understanding of the feasts. You know, I celebrated Passover and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, and, but now I celebrate them with kavanah or intention and worship. I remember the first time I celebrated Passover as a disciple of Yeshua, and uh, we were going through the, the service, and, I, and it was a Seder, and I suddenly realized, I was like, wait, this thing that I've been doing, I've been commemorating every spring, this actually happened. Like, God took our people out of Egypt. It's not just a, a ritual, but this is something that happened in history. It's not an allegory. God saved us from slavery. So if there are good historic and current explanations and reasons for being a Messianic Jew, why such animosity and resistance? Well, one of the reasons has been Christian anti-Semitism. By this, I don't mean the the true disciples of Yeshua being anti-Jewish, but persecution and atrocities in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, uh, being committed against Jews. This has made it harder for Jews to see Yeshua as Jewish, which makes sense. Coupled with anti-Semitism, I believe, is another issue. My sense that it's partially an, uh, an issue of identity. So Judaism as a religion has been partially built in an anti-identity. An anti-identity. Um, it's, uh, what I mean is it's defined and it's gotten its definition by being not something else, all right? So imagine if I have uh, one slab of clay right here, right? And uh, from that slab, I take two lumps. And one lump of clay, I make it into wait for it, a bowl. And the other one, I make into a cup. All right, and now even though they came from the same stuff, see they look they look alike, right? They've been shaped into different things over time. Now suppose I define the cup, and I say, "Cup, <clears throat> you are not a bowl." I'm defining it by what it's not, right? You are not a bowl. Uh, uh, I don't really emphasize the fact that it's a cup. I just I just say, "You are not that. You are not a bowl." Right? And remember that. You are never a bull, you're nothing like a bull, and you will never be a bull. And then to the bull I say, you are not a cup. You will never be a cup. Do you understand? 
it's, it's identity, but it's based on what it isn't rather than what it is. And that's, that's really no way to form an identity. What, is it, what does it mean to be a Jew? Does it mean you keep the Torah? Sometimes. Does it mean you have a schnoz? It's possible. Does it mean that you like locks and bagels? Perhaps. But those who oppose Messianic Judaism says mostly it means you are not a Christian. They say, that they say is the strongest identity marker for the Jewish people. It's as if being a Jew is being a non-Christian. That's what it's all about. But if you build an identity on something that you're not, you run into problems. And we can do this as well. We can build our identity on things that we're not, rather than things that God has made us, God-given positive things. We can be so focused on what we're not that we don't walk into what we are. Even the patriarchs did this when they were confronted with the call of God. For example, when Hashem called Moses and told him to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, this exchange took place in Exodus 3, verses 10 through 12. Uh, And this is the Lord speaking. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And, uh, but Moses said to God, sure, no problem. Right? No? No. He said, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's like, what, what am I? I'm just Moses. I'm, I'm, you know, how could I do that? And God said, I will be with you. And, uh, and he has a couple other objections and, uh, to, to the Lord's call. And uh, later on, we find this objection from Moses in 410. Uh, the same book of Exodus. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I, have, I am slow of tongue, oh, speech and tongue. See, there's a reason I messed that up. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he's, he's saying, no, I, I could deliver the, the Israelites, but I'm not a good speaker. Right? Moses' identity may have been wrapped up in something that he wasn't. He may have thought, I'm not a good speaker, so I'm not a leader. We, of course, know that that's not true. I'm not someone who can deliver my people, right? I'm not a good speaker. I, 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 I murdered an Egyptian once, right? He might have been thinking about all the things that he did wrong in the past or all of his insecurities, all of his failures. Similarly, we find in the calling of Gideon by Hashem, we find the same thing. This is found in Judges 6, 11, verses, uh, verses 11 through 15. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you now? 
Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Right? It always seems to start with that. Pardon me, my lord, but I can't be a leader because I'm the weakest. Pardon me, Lord, but how can I understand you to be with us when we as a people have suffered so much? In these examples, Moses and Gideon, perhaps they have not been rooted in who they are in God and who God wants them to be. They are rooted, perhaps, in who they aren't. They are focused on an anti-identity rather than who God made them to be. Do we do the same thing? Do we call ourselves failures when God, God has promised to complete the work he began in us? Do we call ourselves worthless when God has called us his very precious possession? I want to encourage all of us to address these non-identities, these anti-identities for the lies that they are and to fight to fight for our identity in Hashem. So back to our question at hand. If you combine anti-Semitism in, uh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, with this anti-identity issue, you have a perfect storm. I believe that the widening animosity between Christianity and Judaism has been forged by these two. Jews being rejected by Christians and Christianity, and Christians being rejected by Jews and Judaism, and each one forming their identity um, on not being the other one. After all, as we all know, and as we saw in the scriptures I read at first, they both come from the same place. They're from the same lump of clay originally. There's no inherent historical or logical reason why they should be separated. They came from the same lump of clay and have told themselves over the years that they are not the other one. So how should we respond to this? First, we need to be rooted in our identity, our positive identity from Hashem. We need to know that when the world says you can't be Jewish and follow Yeshua, that God says otherwise. We need to form our identities around who God made us and live it out. Not in a like in-your-face way, but in a way that we're confident as Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles in whom God has made us to be and what he has called us to do. And second, I believe that we should pray for the Jewish community to come to understand their primary identity as children of the covenant and not as non-Christians. And also, we should pray that they come to understand the Jewishness of Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua was a rabbi. He taught obedience and reverence for the Torah. You know, in the quote I read in the beginning, it said, if any prophet comes and says that the Torah is no longer applicable, we should ignore him. Well, Yeshua didn't say that. He said that I came to fulfill the law. He said that none of the law will pass away, right? If our people can understand who they are and the Jewishness of Yeshua, they won't be as concerned about these man-made boundaries between Judaism and Christianity. And lastly, we can pray for the restoration of the relationship between Judaism and Christianity. This, it's, it's a breach that's it's a, 
um, something that I think the Lord wants to heal, and I believe he wants to do it through our community. He wants to heal this divide through Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles in our community. We are the vital link between these two communities. We are the ones that can reconcile them because we belong to both. But first, as I said, we need to be aware. We need to know who we are. We need to know who Yeshua is to us and whom God has called us to be. This is part of our being a light and salt to the world, as Rabbi Michael Schiffman spoke to us last week. A positive, God-given identity and confidence in who he made us to be so we can testify to God's faithfulness. Let us live out our lives, in our own lives, the restoration that we long for. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray.